all you can to live in peace with everyone. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In the series, Living with Integrity, we've been learning from the life of Joseph. Today's message is reconciliation. We'll see from Joseph's encounter with his brothers how to wisely reconcile with someone who has hurt us. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. Do you believe? I want to hear it. I believe. Lift it up. Get on your feet. I believe. Boy, we, be- we live in a day when we don't have a lot of institutions to trust in. Do we believe in God? Some people trust in horses and chariots and politicians and the medical. And the- but we believe in God Almighty. We've got to know him though, don't we? Today's message is entitled Reconciliation. And we, as we continue our survey of Joseph's life in the series called Living with Integrity. But what does reconciliation mean? I'll leave you alone on the definition of integrity for a week or two. But I'm coming back. I'm coming back. What does reconcile mean? Make friendly. That's good. What would you say over here? Come together. That's a good one. What else? Restore. Who said that one? Oh, that's a You get a star. Come up here with me. I'm going to put you right by my desk. To, to make peace is another one. To restore harmony, especially in a relationship. Theme for today, it's on top of your outline. Do y'all still use these outlines? Okay, okay, we'll keep printing. (laughs) Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18. Now, now, uh, hold on a minute. Who thinks reconciliation means forgiveness? Y'all are just scared of getting tricked or something, aren't you? Y'all are scared of getting called out. Forgiveness is called, is called on. We're called to forgive by God. But forgiveness can be exercised by one. By one. We're responsible to forgive. Reconciliation is different. Reconciliation requires effort, movement, and change by two or more parties. I'm I'm sure to trip over that. Now let's remember Joseph's story. After seven years of abundant harvest came seven years of famine in the land of Egypt, but also the surrounding countries, including Canaan. Remember that Canaan was the promised land, Well, that's where Joseph's family was living. So we begin today with Genesis chapter 42. We'll skip through some of it just for for time and brevity. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? 
Are you surprised? What do we say that's similar to that? You're allowed to say this word in church. Why are you standing there looking stupid? Now, don't, that, don't say you've never said that. But it's surprising, isn't it? I, in fact, I was so surprised at this phrase, I looked it up, but it's literal. It's literal from Hebrew. Why, are you, why do you stand around looking at each other? Why are you just looking at each other? I have heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. Now, do you think the sons had heard there was grain in Egypt? Well, certainly they had. So why didn't they go? Why did they stand around looking at each other? They were afraid to go. They knew what they did. Who has another one? You agree with that? They knew what they did? Lazy. Well, the trip was long, 250, 300 miles. It would have taken six weeks to travel, and it was dangerous. Furthermore, Egypt was a hostile country, so they might show up and not only not get grain, they might find themselves imprisoned, enslaved. Remember, they sold their brother to be taken to Egypt to be what? Enslaved. But they knew they'd sent their brother there, which is what Jevia Lynn said. So there was a bad association. You know, guilty consciences never let you rest. Have you noticed that? And they can arouse painful emotions from the past to the point that you avoid any reminders. There might be some location that was the scene of your worst behavior, your most unwise action, and you do not want to go anywhere near it, do you? You'll take the long way around to avoid it. Verse 3. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. Why 10? Didn't you wonder that? I mean, why would it take 10 to buy grain? You could have brought donkeys. It may be that they were only allotted food per capita. In other words, you show up, you get food. So it could be that, that that's why they sent all these brothers. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. Who's that laugh? Why'd you laugh? He didn't trust them. That's right. He, he didn't trust the others, but Benjamin is the other son of the favorite wife, Rachel. So it looks like he's still showing favoritism, doesn't it? He's still showing partiality. He hasn't learned any lessons. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food. So some other people traveled with them, apparently. 
for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor, the Hebrew word is shallot, and it's usually literally translated ruler. So we know he was not the ruler of all Egypt, but he was second. So he's, re- he's really being referred to as ruler here. And in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that the brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph, who was now 39 years old, 17 when they sold him, recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we have come to buy food. Now, I want you to put yourself there. Imagine what Joseph felt when he first recognized his brothers. How did he recognize them? Y'all remember I had friends here last week, nine of them, but seven of them that I'd known for years and years and years, but hadn't seen them for 40 years. I recognized every one of them. They were a little slimmer than they when I remembered them. Some seemed a little taller. Some seemed a little shorter. Some seemed a little rounder. <laughs> Some I didn't recognize their face because you remember back in the 70s, we all had long hair. Some had no hair. Some were losing hair. I recognized them by the way they stood, by the way they walked, by the way they talked, the sound of their voices. But imagine what he felt when, when, he, when he first saw him, what would have happened? What would have been his re- reaction? Rage, somebody said. Shock, somebody said. Anger. Hurt. Who said hurt? That's, that stomach. You, does your stomach just, just go into a knot when you, when you are in a situation that brings up a painful memory? That's what transformation prayer helps with, by the way. Call care ministry. Call Be Encouraged House to help you. And then all the, he had this flood of agonizing emotions, of, of betrayal, of abandonment, of loneliness. And, and, you know, betrayal is one thing by someone you barely know, but betrayal by the people that are the closest to you is anguishing. That's why, that's why adultery is so painful. Because it's the person that should have been most committed to your good. So the, the depth of emotion makes betrayal even more intense, even more painful. So he's standing there. And he would have been tempted. I mean... I, Interesting, I'm not sure what it says about our church, but I only heard one say he was hurt. Everybody else said he was mad, he was angry, he was... So be careful, beware. <laughs> he, he would have been tempted to punish them, to imprison them, to put them to death. But he decided instead to reconcile with these men 
who had heard him. But first he wanted to assess their character before he embraced them again as brothers. Now God wants you to be gracious and forgiving. Forgiveness is clearly, God forgave you, you must forgive others. There's, there's no really exceptions or conditions to that. But reconciliation is different. And in regarding reconciliation, we're encouraged to be wise, to be discerning. And this encounter between Joseph and his brothers will reveal some essentials of reconciliation. You say, well, how do you get this out of this story? It's, it's so old. It's Old Testament. Well, when we look at these Old Testament stories and we understand that all the Scripture was written for us today, we don't live in Egypt. We're not under a Pharaoh, although some days you wonder. But we examine the way people relate to God in obedience and disobedience, we examine the way people relate to each other because human nature has not changed. Human nature has not changed. So reconciliation requires first an accusation of offense. Verse 8. Though Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Why not? Like I said, I recognize those people I hadn't seen in 40 years. Why not? Have you noticed you don't recognize people when they appear where you don't expect them to be? Leanne and I one time were able to go to Hawaii. And we were in Oahu on Waikiki Beach. All I needed, all I was lacking was a surfboard. I couldn't have stood on it, but. I wanted to just carry it around. So Leanne, we have a beach in Georgia. So um, Leanne goes in the restroom on Waikiki Beach. She's washing her hands, a little girl, 11-year-old girl. says, you look just like my pastor's wife back in Simpsonville. But you know, but, well, she, this child recognized her. But a lot of times we will bump into someone and we don't recognize them because of where they are, right? Well, not only did they not expect him to be in a leadership position, I think they expected him to be dead. I think they expected him to be dead. This is 22 years later. He spoke a different language. He had a different appearance. Hebrews didn't shave. Egyptians did. Egyptians did. Now, he wouldn't have had much beard at 17, so he should have looked more like it. But they, he just didn't fit at all what they would have recognized. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before from Genesis 37. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We're all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men. We are not spies. 
Verse 12, he accused them of the same thing. Go to 13. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, son of a man living in Canaan, in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. Why didn't he identify himself? Why didn't he identify himself? They couldn't hurt him then. Emotionally, maybe. What did you say? Well, I think he wanted to watch. You were doing really well until the last word. (laughs) He did want to watch them, but I don't know if it was just to watch them squirm. He wanted to watch their responses to determine their character. Squirm, maybe. But you see what I'm saying? I think there was something more deliberate in this. And if he had told them he was their brother, he wouldn't have been able to see their true character. So he decided to test them and observe their responses. Joseph accused his brothers of being spies. Now, when when they heard that, how would they have felt? Scared. Frightened. He knew they weren't spies, but he wanted to assess how they acted under accusation. That's a very telling thing. Whether it's rightful accusation or wrongful accusation, it reveals a lot about character. You know, we shouldn't resume a relationship, especially one that's been deliberately hurtful. I want y'all to hear this now. Until we have assessed the character and integrity of the person who harmed us. Does that sound unchristian? I thought we were supposed to go right back in. No, no, no. I said you have to forgive When we're wounded by someone we're in relationship with, we must not ignore the actions. We must not absorb them, saying nothing. We must confront the situation. All right, now here's the problem. Some of us are scared to death to confront, right? And if we're afraid to confront, and I'm not talking about being enraged. I mean, that says something about you know, if I'm the one confronting and I can't do it calmly, there's something unsettled in me. So we ought to be able to confront respectfully but firmly. Because if you can't confront a situation, particularly someone you're, you're supposed to be in a close relationship with, because you fear rejection, you're actually being codependent. You know, we say, oh, but I want to be kind. That's not kindness. That's codependence. I need this person to affirm me. And I'd rather have a sick relationship than go through the discomfort of confrontation. Now, I don't want anybody to raise their hand, but I want you to hear this and feel this if you're finding yourself there. If we fear attack when we raise such an issue, then you're probably in a very unhealthy, maybe even a dangerous relationship. 
if you're in a painful relationship, are you able to confront the offenses? That's the first step. Reconciliation requires assessment of truthfulness. Reconciliation is rebuilding a relationship. And it requires honesty from both parties. Both parties. But Joseph insisted. As I said, you're spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh was supposed to be the god Horus. So this is a, this is a strong statement. But again, he, he appears to be Egyptian saying that. That you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. Notice he didn't name him. Because they didn't name him. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know you are spies. That's the fourth time he's called them spies. So Joseph gave his brothers a test. But was it to determine whether they were spies? No, not at all. Rather to demonstrate their honesty, their character, their integrity. Are they just saying something to get out of there? Verse 17. So Joseph put them all in prison. Under the Hebrew, it might have, it might have actually been house arrest. We don't know that it was the most cruel prison. For three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. Now, that's not a declaration of faith. That's a, a confirmation that certifies his promise to them because they follow God, and he's saying he has a, basically a respect for their God. If you do as I say, you will live. Why did he imprison them? Did he want them to experience what prison felt like? What do y'all think? You think it's payback? Y'all think it was payback? What do y'all think? You know, you say, well, it's 22 years later. What is payback there? But it's interesting in how wounds always advance forward so that they feel current. Have you noticed that? Again, that's what transformation prayer helps you with because the wounds stay in you, but they always feel current. When you enter any situation that feels the same as when you were hurt originally, it feels fresh today, doesn't it? You may be in no danger, no risk of suffering it again. But it feels to current. Maybe he just wanted them to, to know what prison felt like. Maybe it was exacting a pound of flesh. Maybe. But at the very least, he was letting them understand a bit of what he experienced. When you're working toward reconciliation, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. 
verse 19. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. See, he changed. He's only asking for one now. Then the rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth. And you will not die. To this they agreed. You see, Joseph is concerned about his family, although not many of them were concerned about him. I mean, let's think about it. His father knew the jealousy, the resentment existed, and his father sent him out by himself to check on him. So even though the father loved him, the father also exposed him to danger. So despite the fact that he's been so mistreated by these same people, he cares for them. Sounds like Christ, doesn't it? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It appeared they knew what they were doing fully well. They just didn't understand the magnitude of what they were doing. So Joseph was concerned. He sent them all but one back. And he would determine whether they would keep their word and bring back Benjamin. When you're restoring a relationship, do you expect honesty not as a good thing, not as a basis, as the basis for reconnection. The basis. Reconciliation requires acknowledgement of wrongs. Joseph needed to know whether his brothers would admit their sins. The way they had treated him, will they, will they acknowledge it? And if he had identified himself, their apologies couldn't be judged whether they were sincere or not because they would be motivated by their need for food and their own fear of punishment. So it's, sometimes it can be hard to determine the truthfulness of, about, of someone. But here's where you can see it if they admit their wrongs. Verse 21, speaking among themselves, they said, he had a great, Joseph had a great advantage here. Clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked. Remember, Reuben was going to, going to set him free. But you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. Again, assumes Joseph is dead. But Reuben doesn't act innocent. They're all at fault. And these brothers felt convicted about their cruelty. They, they believed that they were being judged by whom? By God. You know, it might help us to be a little more sensitive to judgment by God for sins. Scripture says we'll be examined, our works will be examined, but, boy, we got that pushed away that we're not very sensitive toward what would God think about what I'm doing 
now, what I'm saying, how I'm acting. But these brothers immediately believed they were being judged by God through this Egyptian governor for their ruthless, cruel treatment of Joseph. Verse 23. Of course, they didn't know what Joseph, that Joseph understood them. For he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. Why did he cry? Who knows? You got an idea? He still loves them. Who said something over here? He was hearing what he wanted to hear. I can't tell who's saying this. That is very good insight. That is very good insight. Do you remember sometime when you were in a conflict with someone and you were angry and you'd been hurt and when they acknowledged their hurt, it broke you. You remember that? Because there's a, there's a meeting of the hearts, even though there's not reconciliation yet, but it's on the way. It's on the way. He saw their guilt. He saw their shame. And so this pent-up emotion, was, was, it was almost like relief. And he may have thought they're just going to keep lying. They're just going to keep denying. You know. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon, the second oldest, from among them and had him tied up Right before their eyes. Boy, how dramatic that is. It's not wrong to be a little dramatic. It's wrong to be cruel and mean and dishonest. It's not wrong to be a little bit emphatically honest. Joseph listened. He needed to know how they truly viewed their actions. And when he heard their anguish, he wept. Wise reconciliation requires sincere repentance and humble confession of sin. An admission of wrongs without minimizing, justifying, or blaming someone else. When you're reconciling with someone, do you expect an honest admissions of, of wrongs? Now, I'm not saying there's not some wrong on both sides. Remember I said this probably, it requires movement on two parts. Reconciliation requires appraisal of change. Joseph's assessment of his brother's characters continued. This was not quick relief. Verse 25. Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain. But he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. Another test. He also gave them supplies for their journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain and headed for home. But when they stopped for the night, and one of them opened his sack to get the grain for his donkey. He found his money. Probably precious metal actually, not cash, folding bills. 
in the top of his sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank. Trembling, they said to each other. Look what they said. Somebody read that. What has God done to us? Do you think when you're going through a tough situation, God's involved? Do you? Now think about that. What is God doing here? I think sometimes we've relegated God to sitting on a throne in heaven and not having much to do on earth. But if you belong to him, he's involved in every issue of your life. They didn't suspect Joseph. They thought God was causing this punishment by these Egyptians. Verse 29. When the brothers came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, he told them. They told him everything that had happened to them. He just repeats the story, so we'll skip down to 35. As they emptied out their sacks... They're in each man's sack, not just one, every man's sack, was the bag of money he had paid for the grain. The brothers and their father were terrified when they saw the bags of money. See, it it appears that only one found it. Perhaps all of them confirmed it, but if so, if they all found it earlier, when they saw it again, they, they relived that fear. Jacob exclaimed, you are robbing me of my children. You see suspicion? Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too. Everything is going against me. Now that's a valid statement from a human point of view, wasn't it? How often do we say, everything's against me? And yet, Romans 8.28 stands true. For them that love God and are called according to his purpose. God's working this plan out. But in the eyes of Jacob and actually all these brothers, it looks like they are living in a nightmare. And yet... God is moving out his plan that will preserve them all and preserve the faith all the way to us. 37. Then Reuben, remember the firstborn, said to his father, you may kill my two sons. He had four actually. If I don't bring Benjamin back to you, I'll be responsible for him, and I promise to bring him back. Reuben Reuben believed Joseph. He believed the governor was being truthful. But Jacob replied, My son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead, and he is all I have left. Boy, imagine that. This, this This is not... A balanced, mature, nurturing father in by any sense, is he? But some of us grew up with this father. So what can we learn? 
what can we learn? But he, he, he isn't getting any better. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving, white-haired man to his grave. Actually, to Sheol, the place of the dead. See, Reuben is concerned about Simeon. Jacob's concerned about whom? Only Benjamin, but who else? Possibly more than about Benjamin. It appears that Jacob's narcissism can be followed throughout his life. And anytime there's a narcissist in the middle of your relationships, that person damages everybody and never owns responsibility and blames everybody else. Joseph wanted to see whether these men who had sold him into slavery would abandon another brother. You see what he's done? Let's see whether they'll do this again. Because he has one of the brothers, they're safely at home. Are they going back? Are they just going to say, well, too bad for Simeon. It's too dangerous to go back. Or would they return to Egypt knowing they still might face imprisonment and enslavement? Reconciliation requires changes in all parties. And it takes time to observe whether transformation has truly occurred. And it really takes seeing this person under stress. Under stress. When someone tries to hurry your forgiveness... When someone pressures you to return things to the way they were. This one's ringing true in some people's ears, isn't it? When someone says, I don't have anywhere else to live. That's not reconciliation. That's manipulation. That's control. True contrition and change says, give me a blanket and I'll sleep in the backyard. You see what I'm saying? There's a humility that comes with acknowledgement, with repentance, with a desire to reconnect. And here's the thing. Here's a warning again for Christians. When we, are, when we rescue people from the consequences of their decisions too quickly we prevent their change and we protect them from God's correction some of us have been guilty of that haven't we We, I mean parents I see this a lot with, with parents we can get in the way get between God and our child you do not want to get between God and your child if God is trying to discipline your child. We call it love. Is it love? What is it? Well, it's selfishness, but there's a psychological word. It's codependence. It's codependence. 
Uh-uh, you better step back and let God have them. You do not want to get in the middle of that discipline because you might get some of it yourself. Joseph hasn't completed his reconciliation by the end of this chapter. You know, you see that, don't you? But what about you? While I've been preaching this, has God's Spirit been whispering a person's name to you? Is there someone that you gave up on, hurt, angry, that you should open a door of reconciliation? Not careless, unthinking reconnection. Deliberate, prayerful, godly reconnection. Is there someone you should step toward, maybe even today, and start with a call? Our care volunteers will be here. If you want to talk to someone about anything that I have touched on or something the Spirit said to you as I was speaking, they're here to pray with you. They're here to talk with you. And this doesn't, you know, they could meet with you even after this. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. Father, make us wise. Lord, help us not to justify our own anger, but help us to be wise in the way that we reconnect our relationships in a prayerful, deliberate way that you will guide and bless. But Lord, cause us to be forgiving immediately, knowing that you forgave us of every sin. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we'll continue exploring the life of Joseph in our series, Living with Integrity. To prepare, read Genesis chapter 43 through chapter 44, verse 17. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the Living with Integrity series. If you like what you hear, leave a review so others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, search through our message archives. Just visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. To get connected at Brookwood, email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.